0: Back to school, whether we like it or not, the Republicans convene, and Black lives still matter. What a week. My name is Matt Sinovic. I'm the Executive Director of Progress Iowa.
1: And I'm Ivy Beckenholt, Communications Director of Progress Iowa.
0: Welcome to What A Week with hot takes about the week's news and shout-outs for people doing good in the world. This week we will talk to Danielle Root with the Center for American Progress during our interview about the ongoing attacks on our postal service and also how we can make sure that our elections uh, remain secure this year. Um, But we are going to start with what made headlines this past week. Our first headline is from last night. Uh, We're recording on Thursday. Uh, Last night, Senator Ernst gave a speech to the Republican National Convention, and the headline in Iowa's startling line was, Ernst sells out Iowa during RNC speech. And I thought, I mean, that headline is on the nose, but it is, uh, in my opinion, 100% true. She just went up and gave a cheerleading speech for a president that has more or less abandoned our state, whether it's healthcare to derecho relief and on and on. Um, Ivy, did you watch or what'd you think of the, the speech?
1: Yeah, I watched it. I mean, it's just, she was definitely praising him and especially she praised him on ethanol, which I just thought was so insane because I mean, his em- administration has harmed like the ethanol industry so much by like approving the small refinery refinery mm-hmm. waivers to big oil companies. And things like that so she just like totally ignored the big picture things especially like health care didn't even mention it I mean
0: yeah and, and they're still trying to repeal the uh, Affordable Care Act mm-hmm. which would mean you know thousands and thousands without coverage and then uh, it's nearly 1.3 million Iowans who have a pre-existing condition that could be then that could then be distri- discriminated against by insurance companies so that's what that would mean and she didn't even say boo about it um, during her 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 speech uh, uh, last night. So I think she thinks that there's just she has to suck up to the president to get his supporters here, maybe, or she really believes all this. So either way, it's she's she's ditching us and to just to have his back, which is really infuriating. Yeah,
1: especially it's. Uh, we'll just see how it all turns out. But uh, the next story we have is during an oversight hearing, uh, Rep. Porter uh, got Postmaster General. To joy to admit that he knows very little about the post office, despite the fact that he runs <laughs> it. Uh, he didn't even know the price of a postcard, how many people voted in the last election by mail, and he even said that he wasn't the one who ordered certain changes, but he couldn't name the person who did. So overall, she just grilled him. What do you think about that?
0: It was great. I mean, I mean, it's it's really unfortunate what's going on, but Katie, uh, Congresswoman Porter, is uh, has a well-earned now reputation for just being a badass at going after people like this in the administration and just all up and, in, and in, in, in the private sector too. Um, and, and she, she proved it once again. She just, she comes prepared. She knows what she's talking about and she just drills down until, um, she gets the information that we all need cause she's doing this for us. Um, so it was great. Um, and makes me even more excited to have her um, at our Progress Iowa Corn Feed next week, next Wednesday. So um, shameless plug, register, Cornfeed.com.
1: Yeah, definitely <clears throat> excited for her to be there. I mean, it's just so great to see what she's done. I mean, I loved the whole Ben Carson, Oreo, REO thing about oh, yeah. real estate. That was great. So definitely excited to have her.
0: In some very tragic and ongoing just... Awful news. Um, Another, uh, 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 another young man was shot in the back seven times by police in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, Jacob Blake and with his three kids in the car, Um, and it was it it is yet another in a long string of 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 tragic just shootings by police against um, uh, against. Uh, against black people, and it is just the latest example of why we need to keep saying Black Lives Matter, supporting uh, protests, supporting demonstrations, supporting po- uh, any policy that can make a difference. Um, there were there there are many different strands of this that I think we'll get into more probably next week uh, on the on the episode as this continues to develop. But the two things that uh, I wanted to make sure and talk about were um, one, there's a teenager who was charged with murder um, after two protesters were killed. Um, this reportedly, um, young man drove from Illinois to Wisconsin with an AR, with with an fifteen and and then ended up shooting and killing a couple of people. Um, he considered uh, again, reportedly considered himself to be a vigi- like a vigilante or someone who was there to preserve order. Um, and it's really just a whole unfortunate situation. And then, um, sorry, I'm taking more time with this one. But uh, the other, the other piece of this is there was just a slew of cancellations and and, and uh, strikes um, in the sporting world. Uh, from starting in the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks pr- uh, decided they were going to they were going to go out on strike during their um, game five of the playoffs, and then that spurred. Um, I think the entire NBA, WNBA several major league soccer games, uh, matches and major league baseball games and so I want to I at least give that some recognition because there's a privilege that comes with being able to just change the channel off the news and on to something else, anything else and especially sports so if you take that away and force the discussion I think that can be pretty powerful so we'll continue to monitor this but Ivy, if there's anything you wanna add and and, and talk about this, but it's just, it's absolutely tragic.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially like Jacob Blake, obviously his kids were in the car and then for police to shoot him seven times in the back, that's obviously horrible and obviously wrong. And something needs to happen, not just with those officers, but with policing in general, there needs to be definitely at the least some reform. And I mean, this even goes to when the um, white teenager came Uh, from reportedly out of town, and did kill two protesters. I mean, uh, reportedly, he had walked by police, and like, they didn't stop him when he had this huge gun. I mean, and that just goes, again, to white privilege, and the police not taking enough action against, um, like, white people compared to, like, the things that they do to black people, especially unarmed black people. So, I mean, it's really just, Obviously everything that's going on is horrible, but it's obviously great to see the protests happening. And I think that's definitely necessary. So we'll see how that all unfolds, especially uh, going into next week. Yeah. So our next topic is Iowa schools. There have been several cases this past week, which are quite unfortunate. Um, The first one is that uh, an Iowan child did die due to COVID. This um, was reported just in the last week, but Iowa officials knew about it on August 6th. And so they took weeks to report it, which is obviously horrible, especially as students go back to school. We need to know about this information. So this week, a lot of students went back to school, even though Iowa's COVID case average rose 25%. And like the state is still underreporting it compared to media outlets and other people. So that's obviously concerning. And now the state of Iowa doesn't have to alert the public when a coronavirus outbreak happens at schools. So obviously this is horrible because they made this rule forcing kids back into schools and they don't even have to report it.
0: It's just, it is, it's a perfect storm for chaos and a continued outbreak in our state. and. uh, Again, we're recording on Thursday morning, and as this um, uh, uh, as we're recording this, um, the news broke that 18 more Iowans have died in the last 24 hours, or they're reporting 18 more deaths. Um, As Ivy, as you just mentioned, that could be you know we could find out weeks later that someone else has died from this um, uh, during this time period, but um, that's 18 more deaths, um, which is catastrophically high and nearly 1,500 uh, cases in the last 24 hours. So we are sending kids back to school at the, you know, really at the absolute worst time to be doing that without all the proper safety precautions and without like a real plan for this. So, I mean, um, it's, 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 it's just it's awful that like that we won't know if there's an outbreak at one of these in, in a school district or in a you know, in, 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 for schools. I mean, we know it for nursing homes, you know, they are required to report it out. Like, I don't know why they can't share that information for the good of the public. I mean, it's not just about the school. It's like, if it's, if you're in, you know, if you're wherever you live, if, if that is happening in your, in your County, in your community, you have a right to know that. I mean, that's, that, You have a right to know that so that maybe you don't go into the grocery store. Maybe you try and get your groceries delivered. Maybe you just limit your risks in other ways. Like it's important for all of us to know what's going on so that we can make the safest decisions possible. And that is not what's happening with the state.
1: Mm -hmm. And already I saw this morning already four school districts had had to quarantine uh, what's called students and teachers. They reported that to like their local health departments. And it's just horrible because, like, already students have gotten coronavirus. And, I mean, the impact that that's going to have is just going to be so unfortunate. And, I mean, we'll see how it goes in the next few weeks, but it's all just yeah. unfortunate.
0: It's going to be – I just have this awful fe- feeling it's going to just be a nightmare um, here in a month or so when we start seeing these numbers get fully reported. On that happy note, we're going to shift into our hot takes where we give quick – uh, where we quickly give our hot takes on, on hot topics of the week. First up is the Republican National Convention. Um, I've been watching probably more than I should, frankly, because we know what they're going to say. But Ivy, have you been watching any of this?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I have been watching it more than the Democratic Convention, like just because it's so entertaining to watch, to see everything <laughs> that they're going to say. So, yeah.
0: There's a lot of yelling. That's my mm-hmm. biggest take. Like, there's a lot of anger and yelling. And I don't know what they're like. It's a lot of, I mean, the, the, one example is they're talking about all the rioting that's going to happen and all the blah, blah, like terrible things that are, like, that are go- unrest that is going to happen if we elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris um, uh, this fall. But what they're talking about is happening now. So I don't know what we're yelling about. Like they need to, they need to figure this figure this out because that's, that it's on it's under their it's on their watch mm-hmm. that all this is happening.
1: Exactly. As an incumbent, I would expect them to try to paint a rosier picture because it's like, has your life gotten yeah. better in the last three and a half years? But especially the first two nights, from what I saw, it was just pretty negative and saying that things are just going to get worse if we elect Joe Biden. But they were even talking about, like, the left movement right now. But, I mean, they have to realize that they're a part of, like, the last three 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 and a half years. Like, this administration is what they're going to think of, Trump and Pence. So, if they're painting, like, a negative picture of just, like, the social situation, it doesn't look great on them.
0: No, not at all.
1: Another thing with the Republican National Convention is that they broke rules uh with the hatch act but
0: some pretty good laws yeah that exist for a good reason
1: mm-hmm. so obviously that's wild but on uh the convention trump had um conducted a ceremony a citizenship ceremony and apparently according to the washington post one woman and to other sources accordingly now too Uh, who became a citizen on TV didn't know that they would be a part of the Republican National Convention until it happened. Obviously, that's just a bit crazy to not tell them that they're about to be on, like, this huge Republican national event. So, I don't know. What do you think about that, Matt?
0: I mean, it's about par for the course for them, but it's, like, they... It made me think that, I mean, that they are, like, using this convention to... I mean basically what they're trying to do is if you already support the president or if you supported him last time and you're not sure if you're going to vote they want you to feel okay about that and and all there's all these like these policies that have they're locking, you know, immigrants in cages and separating you know, f- kids from their families. They are not allowing legal immigrants in from legal immigration from certain countries because they don't like those countries, um, the s hole countries or whatever you want to, you know, how Trump put it. Mm-hmm. And so, they're, and they're instituting religious tests in some cases for, the, for those. Um, all the pieces of the anti-Black Lives Matter, you know, movement that that like and and the quote unquote law and order divisiveness that they're pushing. So all of these racially charged like racist things that the that the administration is doing and so they're using this convention to do things like this to be like hey, it's okay. We're not really that bad and so you can feel okay about voting for us and not voting for a fully like racist president, but their policies totally are. And so they're just using these types of events as props to make you make, make their folks feel better about supporting them, in my opinion. That's yeah. my hot take. No, so.
1: I definitely agree. It definitely seems like they're not even, with like certain um, things that they're trying to say during the convention, like how much Trump has apparently done for criminal justice reform, the things that they're saying don't really seem quite genuine. It seems like they're not trying to sway black voters. It really seems like they're just trying to make white people feel okay, that like, oh, Trump's yeah. not that racist. I mean, basically, exactly. what you said. so yeah, we'll see how that goes.
0: The last hot take is about Dr. Fauci. He said he was in surgery, and I think I saw reported that he was in, under anesthesia when there when the White House task force um, uh, basically lowered the, or, or like limited the CDC and their ability to do for for testing guidelines. So, I mean, you know, I guess that's when you do it if you're gonna if you're gonna mess with the how we administer testing and scale back on testing you do it when the nation's top doctor can't say no i mean um but it just why do we even have a doctor why do we even have doctors or experts if we're not going to listen to them i don't i don't get it
1: yeah i mean i don't even know what to say about this because it just seems so wild i saw tweets as you did saying that he was unconscious basically whenever they uh Past these new CDC guidelines. So, I mean, it's just crazy to go behind someone's back like that and do that when they're in surgery. There's not really much more to say about it. It's just, it's almost like an SNL skit, unbelievable. But of course, you know, it happened. Well,
0: it did. It happened. That should be the tagline for the Trump administration. Yeah. Now, up next, we have the interview. Um, we already talked about the Postal Service a little bit, and Congresswoman Katie Porter standing up for it and holding um, DeJoy's feet to the fire. But we are really excited to have an expert on um, on access to justice and 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 and, and on our elections um, for the fall here with us uh, this week. Uh, so, uh, up next is our discussion with Daniel Root who's an Associate Director for Voting Rights and Access to Justice at the Center for American Progress. She's going to talk with us about the ongoing attacks on the Postal Service, as well as how we can uh, maintain and secure our elections for the fall. We're very uh, excited to be joined now by Danielle Root with the uh, Center for American Progress, who does a lot of work on on election security, on, on the importance of voting. And so uh, Danielle, thank you so much for for taking the time to discuss with us um, what's going on with our um, elections this year and and how we can do more to make sure that they're safe. Um, I read your most recent piece, but uh, but uh, maybe it'd be best to just first start off and just if you just kind of give us a big picture of like how bad is this? Um, we see all the news about the the attacks on the on the post office. Um, what? Should we be worried? And and what are you looking at right now um, to to kind of monitor that?
2: Absolutely, and thank you so much for having me. Um, So we know that the Postal Service is facing massive operational challenges um, that are making it exceedingly difficult for postal workers to do their jobs um, and are also resulting in significant mail delivery delays. So there have been reports of folks across the country who are waiting two weeks uh, to receive their mail, including life-saving medications or checks um, that they need to pay their bills. Um, and these problems, we can trace them directly to the Trump administration's attempts to politicize the postal service and to intentionally starve it of the resources that it needs um, so that mailed ballots do not get delivered by the required deadlines. Obviously, the Postal Service is going to play a huge role in upcoming elections um, because mail voting is going to be um, much bigger of a deal this year than it has been in past cycles because of the pandemic. Vote by mail is essential this year because it is a safe, secure, and reliable way that people can vote from the safety of their homes so that they can isolate, so that they can social distance while still making their voices heard. Some experts are now predicting that some 70 percent of ballots that are cast in this election are going to be cast by mail. And that's a huge difference from past cycles where the default has been to vote in person, going to polling places, going to local election offices, and casting that ballot in person um, with your friends, with your neighbors, with your family members. Um, That's no longer the default in during a public health crisis such as this, because gathering with large numbers of people at any enclosed space um, is just not considered very safe at the moment. So um, we know that vote by mail is going to be hugely popular this year. It's going to be critical uh, for participation. And the recent attacks on the Postal Service um, are really calling the effectiveness of vote by mail into question and making people um, really ponder whether their mail ballot will be delivered in time because of uh, the problems that the Postal Service is currently facing.
1: Thanks, Danielle. I definitely agree. This election is going to look extremely different, um, especially with voting by mail. Um, With that, what do you think that people can do to support the post office?
2: Right. So I think one of the things that would be very, very helpful um, for the Postal Service right now is to contact your members of Congress, uh, particularly if you live in a jurisdiction with, uh, that is represented by Republicans. So right now there's a great bill in um, in front of the Senate at the moment, the Heroes Act, which was passed by the House um, uh, within the last couple months, which includes about $65 billion, um, I believe in funding for the Postal Service. So the Postal Service, is is facing severe um, funding constraints right now as well. Um, And so that's sort of another problem. And right now, Republicans in the Senate, um, but also President Trump, um, have said that they will block the bill. Um, That bill has not seen any real meaningful movement in the Senate um, because Republicans do not want to fund it and they oppose it. Um, And so one of the things that could go a long way in helping the post office um, is making sure that it receives the funding that needs so that um, some of the excuses that Trump and the Postmaster General, who, by the way, is a massive Republican fundraiser who has zero direct postal experience, um, some of the excuses that they're making that, oh, well, we need to close down or um, eliminate some of the ballot sorting equipment. We need to remove some ballot or some mail drop boxes. We need to cut overtime for postal service employees because we don't have the money to do it. So. Um, infusing the Postal Service with that $65 billion in funding um, would go a long way to making sure that all of those great resources remain in place. Um, so that's one way to do it. Um, another way is, um, you know, when you see your postal worker um, walk up your front steps, even if you can't go outside to greet them because of the pandemic, thank them for their service. Um, the attacks against the post office are, are sort of unprecedented. The postal service um, is one of the most beloved American institutions, um, and I think that it's it's putting a lot of people. Um, In uncomfortable situations, particularly those who work um, as postal service um, employees, Um, and I think like showing your appreciation for the work that they do will go a long way in lifting spirits um, and making sure they know that they're supported, um, even when this administration is attempting to uh, politicize the important work that they do.
0: Yeah, I mean that's it's so. Interesting to hear you say that because it is—it it feels like this just sort of bizarre world that we're living in, where the people who bring our mail are under attack for political reasons. Um, it just seemed like this thing that would always be there, you know, and now it's been cast into doubt a little bit. Um, um, and I—I I, I do want to ask one thing about the, these ballots that are getting mailed in because they—the uh, president made some comments about this high percentage of ballots being thrown out during primary races. And I, I can't remember if it was the New York Times or somewhere had a big headline of over half a million ballots were rejected um, or for voter error for, you know, for a variety of reasons. And then buried in the story, it said like 300 plus thousand ballots were similarly uh, rejected in, in 2016, I think, but at least maybe it was in 2018, but I was wondering what your perspective was on these, you know, like voter, I'm sure that just happens in, especially in States with that do vote by mail, you know, on a regular, on a higher level in the past where like, if someone sends in their ballot and they vote for two people or things like that, but, but can you just give us some, uh, um, hopefully some, some comfort that that's, uh, or, or just uh, an, an accurate depiction of what's going on with those kind of error ballots.
2: Right. So, you know, we never like to see high numbers of ballots being rejected. Right. Uh, you know, in some cases, there are issues with ballots where somebody mistakenly, um, you know, submits a ballot where, you know, they mark two people um, accidentally. And, you know, that ballot needs to be remedied um, before it can be counted. Um However, a lot of times, ballot rejection rates um, reflect discriminatory laws. So uh, signature matching requirements is one thing that we typically think of when we think of ballot rejection rates. So when somebody's signature doesn't match exactly the signature that the state has on file for their driver's license or some other official document, um, ballots can be easily thrown out for that reason. And so, like we never like to see that lots of ballots that are cast by American citizens um, being tossed out because we want everybody's vote to count. But I think that you raise a very important point about you know what what we really need to care about and look at. Um, in terms of gauging whether um I rejection um, rejection numbers are um, hugely problematic. Um is the rejection rate. So looking at the number of ballots that were rejected compared to the total number of ballots cast. And I think the the numbers that recently came out for the primaries, I think it was 550,000 ballots. Okay. I, okay. I think that that was around the number. And what that boiled down to was between 1 and 2% of all ballots cast. Okay. And that Pretty typical, as you point out, um, for election seasons. Um, it's not great. We don't want any ballots um, that are cast um, by American citizens to be thrown out ever, but it is not something to be hugely alarmed about, at least in comparison to past election cycles.
0: Okay, and that's what I mean. You see the president using that number to like to just to scare people that. Their ballots are gonna not be counted, et cetera, et cetera and and so I that's really helpful some some context. and I've even seen some people or some uh, thought that there might be like uh, a change in the standard of how these things are counted to like look for voter intent on some of these so that the error wouldn't, you know, uh, so that their ballot would be counted um kind of changing some of the tweaking some of those standards um of course I, I have to believe that those would only happen in places that already that have you know quality public officials in place who are interested in you know in in that kind of uh, increased voter turnout and accessibility so so thanks for 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 painting a better a better picture of that uh, uh, for us um and i, I wanna we, want, we also wanted to really uh, let you talk about and ask about this report that you've uh, um, issued um, at, from the Center for American Progress about the 20 ways that cities can promote safe and effective elections this November. I know 20 is a lot to go through on a short interview, but but if there are pieces that you think um, that are like, oh my gosh, every every city needs to be doing this, this, and this, just kind of lay out the the top top ways that we can make sure that our our elections are safe.
2: Definitely. So um, I'll just say at the outset that, um, you know, making sure that this election is carried out both safely and effectively, um, it's going to take efforts by everyone and officials at all levels of government. And even though cities are not typical entities um, that we usually think about when we think of election administration, usually that's secretaries of states and local election officials um, in counties or municipalities, that sort of thing. Um, But um, cities also have a really important role to play given the resources that they have available to them, um, but also the influence um, that they can harness um, to inspire uh, their residents. So, I would say some of the top recommendations that we have for all cities um, is it fall under three main buckets. Right, you want to encourage voter registration and um, people, and make sure that people can cast ballots that count. So, this is making sure that you partner with grocery stores or um, local pharmacies. Or, you know, just have an outdoor sidewalk voter registration drive, work with your local food bank to host voter registration drives. And at that drive, or and at those drives, provide resources that people can use to um, submit applications for um, absentee ballots. Um, another thing is... Um, You know, to make sure that voters um, are educated about new policies that may be in place because of the pandemic, that they know if their polling place has moved um, because it was previously located in, say, a a nursing home and that's no longer safe. So now it's going to be at the local school down the street. Make sure that voters have all of the information that they need, because this election is going to be very confusing for people. Because of all the changes. Um, So voter education is huge. Another thing that we really, really want to emphasize is encouraging um, volunteerism for poll workers. Um, We are facing a poll worker shortage nationwide when we don't have enough poll workers. Um, Polling places close, early voting is slashed, um, and we can't afford for this to happen. So if you are healthy enough um, and you are not at high risk of COVID complications, um, we are urging everyone to, who can to volunteer as poll workers and cities um, can help promote that um, by working with local celebrities um, to create PSAs encouraging volunteerism and um, getting the word out in other ways as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's all so important. I, I was reading your um, article here and it says that like we should the state and local government should ensure like uh, public uh, transportation and things like that but i know this is probably changing because of COVID. do you have an opinion really on how uh government is doing right now we're so close to november do you think that we're going to be able to ensure a good voter turnout so i think i'm
2: i will say that i am confident that election officials and government officials at all levels um are focused on Um, you know, ensuring that elections in November are carried out safely. Um, You know, I think in some places that's happening um, to a far better level than others. Um, You know, I think in in jurisdictions that haven't taken this pandemic seriously and that are cutting corners in order to open up quick more um, faster than other places that aren't requiring masks. Um, you know, I think they're lagging behind, I think that they're putting a lot of voters at risk and will continue doing so through November. But there are a lot of places, um, even local jurisdictions absent state actions, um, that are putting in place measures to make sure people can vote safely, um, either in person or um, via mail. So, I think that in terms of voter safe, safety, there are great efforts being made, um, and things are looking certainly promising um, that the November elections will be carried out um, in responsible manners. I think, in terms of ensuring voter turnout, that's going to be up largely to the voters themselves. And I hope that um, people are able to see that there is enough at stake this year. Um, and I know everybody gets sick of hearing that, um, you know this the, the current election is the most important in, in our life <laughs> but really you know we're in the midst of, of a major pandemic we're facing um you know an economic crisis job losses um and and really just a moral crisis as a country that um i'm hoping that that is inspiration enough to get people out to vote um and you know make their voices count um, in this incredibly important election. Um, and I think grassroots groups, a lot of on the ground grassroots groups um, are working very, very hard to get people out and are doing a lot of important work in registering folks to vote um, and um, signing them up um, to request absentee ballots as well. So um, I am certainly um, an optimist in this sense, um, for better or worse, um, but uh, that's sort of where I stand at the moment.
0: Great. Well, I. I... I think we share your optimism, but hopefully mm-hmm. uh, we we. I know uh, we hope that people will will uh, turn out and understand that is. I mean, you're right. They we we hear this every single election, but it's even more true if if there's a sliding scale of truthness out there. The it's even even more so this year that that it is just critically critically important that people vote. Um, um, uh, before we let you go, I want to ask one more thing. Um, You'll have these twenty recommendations for cities, and they're all really great. We will share this uh, link on our uh, episode uh, uh, on the page for our episode this week, and and be putting it out on social media as well for Progress Iowa. Um, And uh, but I want to ask, wanted to ask, are there cities where you're like, just you're like, gosh, this city is just crushing it, and and uh, just examples that people could point to um uh, where like they should follow the mold of even if it's not a city this program or that program that's going on
2: yeah so I think la does a very good job um, of okay facilitating um voting in elections. Uh the city, but also, you know, LA County um, is a big part of this too. So they do a lot of initiatives with um transportation and ensuring bike shares are available. Um, there's often a special train line on the metro system um that is free for voters. Um, there's a lot and lots of partnerships with um Lyft and Uber. Um, I think Denver, uh the city of Denver Um, which is also sort of its own um, county-esque entity as well. It's sort of an interesting entity in that way. Um, They have a lot of really, really great initiatives. Um, Amber McReynolds, um, who currently works um, and heads up the the Vote at Home Institution, put in wonderful initiatives when she was in charge there, including a mobile mobile vote center, which was essentially a... um, sort of a bus that would drive around to different neighborhoods and help people register, would help them um, cast their ballots, um, and that sort of thing. And they could just come to that bus and get the information they needed um, and all the for- the necessary forms that they needed. And it made it a really convenient option for folks. Um, and Colorado in general, I would say, is just a fabulous election system because it has widespread vote by mail. It is considered um, one of just a handful of states that relies almost entirely on vote by mail, similar mm-hmm. to places like Oregon and Washington. However, um, The great thing about Colorado's um, system that makes it um, fairly unique um, is that it also relies heavily on vote centers. So it couples its vote by mail program with these vote centers um, that are located throughout various communities um, that allow anybody who lives within that community to vote, to go and vote there. So there aren't individual polling places. You don't have to know, you know, what street you need to go to um, to cast your ballot. You just have the centralized vote center that anybody go to they have all of the right ballots for you um they have you know all of you can also uh register on the same day same day voter registration at these vote centers it's a great dual program that results in very very high turnout and the voters love it so whenever anybody asks what is the ideal election system i always point to colorado because it is doing i think everything right
0: that's good to know and also just uh it shouldn't be groundbreaking I guess but because that seems hmm. so simple and 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 uh, um, ideal that you could just show up to any of these any location and 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 be able to cast your vote rather than knowing which church school community center et cetera that it that it's at um, and you know all too often it's election day and you go to the maybe you go to the place that it has been for years. And it's not there and you only have an hour to do this. And so, you you know, anyway, just so many barriers to, to voting. And that's a great solution to, to, to a lot of them. So that's that's really interesting.
2: Yeah, it should be as convenient as possible to exercise your fundamental right to vote. But, right. you know, we're getting there slowly but surely.
0: For sure.
1: Yes, yeah, so as someone who has gone to the wrong location because it was right uh, down the block, but it turns out that that was the cutoff. Uh, Colorado sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's confusing.
2: It's you know, polling places are wonderful, but they do not make the process of identifying your polling place um, or you know learning that it has closed or it has moved. Um, they don't make it easy. So the the vote centers are a great option. Um, You know, you need to be, the one thing that I would warn about when it comes to vote centers, because a lot of states, because of um, the coronavirus pandemic and the poll worker shortage, um, they're consolidating a lot of their polling places into, say, a single um, vote center across the entire state, just one vote center in Kentucky. Mm. And that's That's not good. That's not how uh, vote centers are supposed to work. You're supposed to have them um, conveniently located across many communities. Um, Because obviously, when you have one vote center per state and no other in-person options, you're going to get huge, long lines, um, which you know, can result in community spread of the virus um, and can also result in disenfranchisement because if you live far away from that vote center um, and you don't have any means of transportation um, and you can't vote by mail or you haven't received your absentee ballot in time because of postal delays or administrative challenges, you don't have any options, and you unfortunately won't be able to vote. Um, so that is, that is my one warning that is very specific to this year when it comes to vote centers, is that jurisdictions should not be looking to consolidate all in-person options into a single um, or just a couple vote centers. Uh, vote centers are great, um, but there needs to be many of them. Um, so that's all I would say about that.
0: That's, that's really scary, um, but, but really important to, to note. So thank you for, for mentioning that as well. Um, well, I, we're, we're uh, um, uh, again, very grateful that, that you've joined us today. Um, but before we go, is there anything else that you feel like we should know or that, we, uh, that, that people who are listening uh, need to know about this year's elections?
2: What I would recommend everyone does is if you are somebody who can vote by mail um, and wants to vote by mail, request your absentee ballot as soon as possible. As soon as your state, your jurisdiction is accepting absentee ballot applications, get your application in. And then I would set a deadline, not on election day, not the day before election day, several days if not weeks before election day, that if you have not received your absentee ballot in the mail by that date, you have a set plan to go vote early in person somewhere. Um, There are going to be um, delivery issues with mail ballots because a lot of states um, are trying out no-excuse absentee voting for the first time this year. Mm -hmm. And while election officials are doing the best they can um, to make sure everybody who requests an absentee ballot gets one, um, there's going to be some hiccups. That happens whenever any new system um, is implemented. Um, So early in-person voting is a safe option and should be a safe backup plan for everyone who plans um, to vote by mail and it is safe to go vote in person. Um, We need to have these backup plans this this year because there are going to be so many obstacles um, and you don't wanna wait until the last minute um, to figure out where and how you're gonna vote if problems arise um, because it's it's just gonna be too late and you're gonna end up standing in those long lines whereas early in person voting, Voters are dispersed across several days, so you won't run into long lines or congested polling places. Um, so, request your absentee ballot early. Um, if it doesn't come um, within a few days, if not weeks, before election day, go vote um, early in person. Um, so that's that is the advice that I, I leave everyone with.
0: Thank you. It's great advice. And for Iowans who are listening, uh, you can make that request now for your ballot uh, for, your absentee, for your absentee ballot. And and then the ballots will, uh, I believe the plan is that they'll be mailed out in early October. Danielle Root with Center for American Progress, thank you again so much for, for joining us today. Thank
2: you so much for having me.
0: And finally this week, we wrap up with some shout outs. So Ivy, take it away. Who are we giving shout outs to this week?
1: So we want to recognize some amazing journalists in Iowa who are investigating and reporting on the truth behind the state's testing program. And transparency, especially as it relates to schools. Um, this includes Lori Boleyn, Lynn Todd, and Tony Lays. Um, do you have anything more to say about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, just that, I mean, there's a lot of talk about how um, uh, um, attacks on the media repeatedly, and I know that I'm sometimes critical, and I mean, it's some, you know, you never, it's just hard to uh, wrap your head around like how underfunded, understaffed and hardworking journalists are and our local Iowa reporters are just wonderful and they are out there busting their butt to do to get it right which is I think far more than we can say for the Reynolds administration on this on this issue so um, just yeah just a big thank you to them and, and very appropriate that we're giving them the shout out so if you have recommendations please send them to at Progress Iowa or at Potluck FM. Uh, We would love to include your shout outs um, uh, on next week's episode.
1: What a Week is produced by Progress Iowa as part of the Potluck Media Network. It would not be possible without grassroots supporters like you. We are mixed and edited by Greg Howenstein. For more information, visit potluck.fm. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe. See you next week on What a Week.